I'd like to read with you one verse in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3, the book of Acts and chapter 3. <clears throat> The last verse in the chapter, Acts chapter 3 and verse 26. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from his iniquities, his sins. Suppose someone were to ask you why the Lord Jesus came into the world. What would your answer be? It may be some would say, well, he came to start the Christian religion. Others would say he came to teach us how to love one another. He came to show us how we should live selflessly and caring for others. What would your reason be? What would your explanation be as to why God sent Jesus into the world? I'm not so sure that any of us would have used Peter's words, but they're wonderful words. Notice what he says. God sent his son to bless you. And in order to do you good, to bless you, he was going to have to turn you away from the thing that curses men and women, that brings a curse into our life, turning every one of you away from his iniquities. Now, I don't know if you've ever had to deal with people who have um, habits, let's say. And it may be drugs, it may be alcohol, it may be something else, but you will find that they do not think logically. And while you are trying to save them from this destructive thing, they seem all the more determined to pursue that course and to continue in the thing that is hurting them while you are trying to pull them out of it. Now, it seems very strange to me that we run from the Savior who wants to bless us and we embrace the sin that wants to kill us. And in order to bless us, God sent his son to turn us away from our iniquities. So the background to this wonderful statement is, of course, the curse of sin and what it has done to our world and what it does to every life. You and I live on a ruined planet. When it came from the hand of God, it must have been absolutely marvelous because as it is, it's a wonderful planet. It's a beautiful planet. But it has been devastated by sin. And when in the book of Genesis chapter 3, you read about what happened to take a good creation and turn it into a creation that would groan under the thraldom of sin, you see the vast difference and you get an idea of how terrible is the effect of sin in our world and in our lives. For instance, it affects family life. Family life. Prior to the coming of sin into the world, Adam and Eve, deeply in love with each other, had no argument, no friction, no disagreements. As soon as sin came in, there was accusation. There was blame. There was friction. A loving relationship was sabotaged by sin. So today, why do marriages fall apart? Why are families being destroyed? Why are homes ripped apart? Why are relationships being torn asunder? At the base of it all is sin. There was, of course, an effect on the fields, the world around Adam. And suddenly, thorns and thistles would grow. And sin would have its effects on the material world. We live in a world of sorrow. 
We live in a world of pain. We live in a world of suffering. We live in a world of accident. We live in a world where tragedy takes place. None of that would have happened if it were not for sin's presence in our world. There was, of course, an effect on Adam and Eve personally. And this is where it becomes personal to you and me. Because sin not only wrecked their world, it wrecked them. As it has wrecked us when it entered Adam's heart. As a result of that, you and I come into the world with the same nature that our parents had. And that your parents' parents had. And that your great-grandparents had. And traced all the way back to Adam and Eve being expelled from the Garden of Eden. We come into the world as sinners. We come into the world guilty and condemned already, according to the words of the Lord Jesus. And unless that guilt is removed, and unless that condemnation is lifted, sin will have its impact, its effect on us in eternity. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And as sinners, we could never approach God. And we could never live in his presence. We have invented numerous ways of alleviating our conscience. We've, we've imagined that, well, perhaps if I'm baptized, that will take care of things. Perhaps if, I, perhaps if I'm very faithful to my church, or if I pay money to the good cause, or I do make some mistakes, but perhaps if I really strive to keep the Ten Commandments, maybe that will make everything all right. And then you find out from the Bible that not one sin can enter heaven. Not one sinner can step into the presence of God unless those sins are washed away. And we are reminded that apart from what I'm about to tell you, your case, my case, we would be hopeless. Listen to what Peter said. God sent his son to bless you. So think about the coming of Christ into our world that God sent his son. I I think that every part of Peter's statement is fraught with weight and meaning, isn't it? God sent. God said it was a a voluntary act on the part of your creator where he saw your danger. He saw the condition you were in and God sent his son, not an angel, not an emissary, not an ambassador from heaven, not a wonderful man or woman raised up on earth to try to show us how to live. God sent his son, not Gabriel, not Michael, not an angel or an archangel. God sent his son to bless you, to bless. Do you know how the Old Testament closes? The way our Bible is arranged, the last chapter of the Old Testament is Malachi chapter 4. The last word spoken in the last verse of the last chapter of the last book in the Old Testament is the word curse. Because of sin. God was reminding people, sin brings a curse. And yet when the New Testament opens, instead of God enforcing that curse, instead of God adding to it, even instead of reminding us again about it, God sent his son to bless you, to bring salvation to human beings. Notice the last word, you. God sent his son to bless you. This takes you in tonight, no matter who you are, young boy, girl, woman, man. So maybe there's someone here who's very familiar with the gospel. God means you. Maybe there's someone here for the first time in a gospel meeting. God means you. God sent his son to bless you. The mercy and grace that was involved in Christ's coming into the world to provide salvation for you is beyond description. 
that Christ would become a human being. God would send him and Christ would come and that he would enter the human race. Some years ago in Utah, there was a, there was a hostage situation. Actually, it was in the Salt Lake City Library. And at the same time, there was a police officer that was holding a seminar. He had stepped into the hallway. If I remember correctly, there were 18 people lined up. And there was a man with a gun waving them into a room. Deputy Sheriff Lloyd Prescott joined the line. Number 19. Into the room they went. There were 18 hostages in that room. There was one man with a gun. And there was one man who chose to go in. There were 18 people who were terrified and thought they were going to die. There was one man with a gun who seemed crazed. And there was one man who went in to rescue them, to save them. Just like that deputy officer. Join the line. And if you had looked at the line and now counted 19, you would have thought there were 19 captives. You would have thought there were 19 people who were caught by that man and were compelled to go in. You would not have recognized. You would not have realized just from looking. You never would have deduced. Well, no, 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 no. One man willingly joined the line. One man stepped into it. One man is different from the others. The others are caught. He's come to deliver them. And if you had looked at the Lord Jesus, the Bible said there was nothing about him that was lordly. There was there were no halo about his head. There was uh, there was nothing about him that set him apart physically and visibly from other people. But I want to tell you the difference is this. You and I were trapped by sin. He chose to come. You and I were helpless. He came to deliver us, to bless us by turning us away from our sin. And just as Deputy Sheriff Lloyd Prescott rescued all those 18 people by disarming that man, Christ has done something for you. Christ has done something for you to save you from your sins. And that, of course, takes us to the cross that a penalty had to be paid. That the death that the Lord Jesus was going to die would not be by stoning. That is how Jews put people to death. There were times when they tried to stone them. And if you read the New Testament, you realize that they didn't have the legal right to put somebody to death. I agree with you. Except that not long after they turned the Lord Jesus over to Pilate to be put to death, they picked up stones and killed a man whose name was Stephen, and nothing stopped them from doing that. Something stopped them from stoning Christ. Do you know what it was? Ancient prophecies in the Bible that said the way he would die would be hanging on a tree, crucified. Do you know the power in the world, the government in the world, that practiced crucifixion for public execution? It was not the Jewish nation. It was the Roman nation. And here now it's Rome. It's Rome that has subjugated Israel. And so when they want to put him to death, for some reason, they're unable to think about stoning him. They turn him over to Pilate. And now the way he will die is the way that the Bible centuries before said that the Savior would die. Hanging on a cross. The death of the curse. Wearing on his head the crown of thorns. The very picture 
of the curse that God said had come into the world because of Adam's sin, that the ground would bear thorns and thistles instead of being a fertile garden. Now, circling the brow of the Savior is the very emblem of man's curse, like a ring of fire as every thorn beat bit deep into his brow. He had come to Calvary to bear the death of the curse, to take my sins on him, to endure my judgment, to suffer in my place. And just as Barabbas watches a guard turn the key and open the gate, bring him out, and he imagines he's being brought out to go to a cross, and suddenly he's brought out into the light, and maybe the guard pushes him and says, now go. And he stumbles away from the prison, wondering what has happened. And then later he finds out that the cross that he was supposed to carry, that the death that he was supposed to die, a man named Jesus Christ carried and died on. Physically. In 1966, I found out in a spiritual sense that the sins that would have taken me to hell the sins that had brought such darkness and misery into my young life that he went to the cross to bear those sins. He took that curse. He died that death so that I would not have to die. And now there is a power to God's salvation. If you want to see God's power in salvation, if you want to see the might of God, don't, don't, don't look at a trillion stars stretched out like Christmas tree lights in the firmament above you. Look at that one man hanging in the darkness of Calvary. Every now and then NASA gives us unforgettable pictures. And you're looking at the, 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 the burning suns and stars and planets and comets and, and novae up in the sky. But if you want to see God's power, look at that man alone on a cross bearing the fire of God's judgment against sin so that you could be saved. God sent his son to bless you. Do you know what happens when a person turns from her sins and turns to the Lord Jesus, turns from his sins, and turns to the Lord Jesus. The moment that a person trusts the Savior, the power of God is life-changing, and a person becomes a new person. It's not simply a change of habits, but a fundamental change at the core of a person's being. The way the Bible describes it is, God will give you a new heart. So if you've ever wondered, I, I just don't think I could be a Christian. They like things I don't like. They don't do things I do like. I don't think I could ever be like that. It's because you would need a new heart. Or what the Lord Jesus called a new birth. And you must understand that counseling and psychology and psychiatry have nothing to match this. They help people cope with their habits and their, and, and their anger management. But they have no power to reach inside a human being and change his innate desires. God does. God does. It's called a new birth. It's the power of God's salvation to save. I know that we're very accustomed to thinking of our society as a, as a violent one. But actually, Great Britain had a, the assassination of a prime minister. His name was Spencer Percival. And he was shot to death. He was very well known as an evangelical Christian. He was uh, a very um, committed man toward uh, uh, things like the abolishment of slavery and the lifting of poverty, people in poverty, and his uh, love for the gospel. 
deeply committed to philanthropic causes. One day a man came up to him and shot him to death. He was 49 years old. He left behind a widow and 12 children. His body was laid in state. I think at 10 Downing Street. I'm fairly sure it was there. One of the people standing and watching was the famous William Wilberforce. He saw that man's widow walk in with her 12 children following her. She came to the coffin. She knelt down by beside of the coffin with her children around her. And Jane Percival started to pray. She thanked God for her husband. And then, by his coffin, by his body, she prayed for the salvation of his assassin. William Wilberforce went home and he wrote something in his diary. Five words. If you count O as a word, then five words. He wrote this. Oh, wonderful power of Christianity. Oh, wonderful power of Christianity that could cause something like that to happen. That instead of anger and, and resentment in her heart, praying for the salvation of that man, oh, wonderful power of Christianity, better still, wonderful power of Christ who can change your life tonight, who will break the power of sin, who will shatter the chains that have bound you, who will give you a new life and a new heart and a new start. Because that's what God's power does for a person. But wait, there's more. And maybe some would even say better. It is not only life-changing. Salvation is destiny-altering. And only God could effect this change. A human being. I, I, let, me, let me speak of it in a personal sense. It was about quarter to ten on that July night. I was on my knees by my bedside. At that point, you say, well, you'd be awful young for a heart attack. But allow me to put it this way. At that point, if I had had a heart attack and died that moment, I would have been in hell. And that would have been the right thing because I had sinned against God. And then I found out that the Lord Jesus died for my sins. And that by trusting him, God said, I would have everlasting life. And I just simply took God at his word and accepted Christ as my savior. So one moment had I died, I would have been in hell. If the heart attack had come just afterward, I would have gone to heaven. Because salvation changes the destiny of a human being. If there's somebody here in the meeting and you are on the broad road to hell, if you turn from your sins tonight and you turn to the Lord Jesus, your life will be changed, your destiny will be altered, and you will be saved forever. Allow me to close by just reminding you then about the cause and purpose of Christ's advent into this world. He came to bless you. He came to bring you good. He came to turn you away from your sin. This is his great purpose. Please don't misunderstand this. Don't, don't allow anybody to deceive you about this. Please don't imagine that somehow there's anybody or anything that is more concerned about your welfare than he is. Because there isn't. I, just, I was just reading today. Maybe there are some here who watched the... Uh, movie Titanic some years ago by James Cameron. So as a result of producing that, he won an Oscar for Best Picture. When he was at the podium holding his Oscar, they usually give a speech. And so he said, we need to remember 
that this movie was about real living people who died. So could we have, here are his words, could we have a moment of silence? I think he actually put his head down for all of four seconds. 1,600 plus people died. He had enough time to give them four seconds. One, two, three, four. That was it. And then the Oscar got raised like this, and he said, okay, let's party till morning. Four seconds. Friend, you die tonight. You lose your life tonight. You lose your soul tonight. And the world is going to just keep going as if you were never even here. There's somebody who came into this world seeking your good. And not just your good for this life, but for eternity. He came to bless you. And this is what he loves to do. If you trusted Christ as your savior tonight, he would remove the curse from you. He would redeem your soul. He would reverse your course. He would revolutionize your life. Or in simple Bible language, he would save you for eternity. If he came for that purpose, if that's why God's son became a man, if that's why that man went to a cross and died, if that's why he died and rose again, don't you think it's time that you trusted him as savior and received the great blessing that he came to bring, the blessing of God's salvation? I'd like to thank everyone for coming out to the meeting tonight. Um, I want to speak on one verse, but I, I'm going to read two. I'll probably end up speaking on uh, two just short phrases. So if you want to turn with me uh, to the first one, it's found in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 18 and verse 13. Luke 18 and verse 13. So used to just asking you to turn to one page. I almost feel like I'm asking you to do overtime work, but uh, you'll forgive me. Um, maybe one night here. Luke 18 and verse 13. This is a prayer of a man here, and uh, we're just going to focus on what he says. Luke 18 and 13. These are the words. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but he smote upon his breast, saying, God. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Me, a sinner. I just want you to remember those three words as a description of this man. Because uh, we often talk about people going to heaven. Well, the Lord Jesus told this story, and he goes on to say, this man went to heaven. This man got justified. So from the words of the Lord Jesus, we say, whatever this man Whatever he come to was awfully important. And those are his only words that we get recorded here. He says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Just remember that. And then finally, if you could just flip over, flip over in your Bibles to Galatians 2 and verse 20. Galatians 2 and verse 20. Galatians 2 and verse 20. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. We'll, we'll read the whole verse. Once again, I'm looking for the words found at the end here. He says here, he goes, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, 
who loved me and gave, just remember these three words, and gave himself for me. Himself for me. Uh, if, if you're uh, like me, when you're looking for things in life that are, are so valuable, it's when people can be succinct. Um, if you're also like me, and I hope that this is not the case of anybody audience, some reason people who are very wordy always gravitate towards you. You know, like uh, if they were going to tell you what the weather was like, it would take them half an hour, and it just goes on and on. And, and, and so in my life, I've come to personally love succinct statements, statements that just sum up everything, and they're, they're so precise. If you said, Dave, uh, tell me, how would you describe the United States? And we would, all, we would all think of just little statements that are so succinct, but they're, they're so passionate about what it means to be an American, like uh, land of the free, home of the brave. We would say that, just a succinct statement. Yesterday, I gave uh, our brother here a tour of New York. Um, He's yet to leave a review on my online page. But uh, at the end of the day, we were together from, from 9, I think, or if you could breakfast, 8, all the way to 4.30. And he said, I said, I said, could you sum up the day? Could you sum it up? I was imagining glorious, breathtaking, um, insightful. I, I had all these. I, I, was, I was on cloud nine. And he said, yeah, I can, Dave. I would sum it up this way. Stairs. Stairs. Uh, because we did about 500 of them. It was just walking up to the subway, walking down, uh, walking here. And I didn't even anticipate this, but Morningside Park has like 300 stairs. And we had two strollers uh, and two young kids. So it was an apt description of the day. So I'm, I'm looking for round two there. But you think sometimes you just say, maybe people describe something in a way that you would not. If someone said to you when you went home tonight, you got back to your house and they said, tell me, what did they talk about? What did they say there in the tent? Because uh, sometimes at the back of the tent, we talk to people and there, there seems to be a disconnect. And I, I mean that genuinely because I try to talk to anyone who wants to talk at the back of the tent. But after an hour of preaching from the Bible, it just seems to be a disconnect. Uh, it, it seems to be that, that something has happened, that, that what we have been saying from the Bible has not just found a, a home somewhere. Because if I were to ask everybody in the meeting tonight, has anybody here achieved heaven? Has anybody here earned heaven? How many people would raise their hands? I'll give you 10 seconds. Who's achieved heaven? Who's earned it? And I talk to people at the back of the tent, and I say, are you going there? And they say, I hope so. And I say, what's going to bring you there? And they start off by telling me what they've done. So if you're not going to achieve it and you're not going to earn it, please just listen for the next little while as you have been for the past 30 minutes to these very succinct statements because the whole Bible, as it were, Christianity, God's plan of salvation, everything that he would want you to hear tonight could be summed up in these two three-word descriptions. Me, a sinner, himself, for me. Me, a sinner, himself, for me, you see, they both have me in it. They both have that, 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 that app word, me in it. And yet they, they both have these other words. And you say, what could ever bring them together? What could ever bring himself? And what could ever bring sinner together? Nothing but Calvary. Nothing but Calvary. Nothing but a cross could ever unite himself and sinners. Nothing. Nothing. No, nothing could ever unite those two other than a cross 
in which the Savior died himself for me. Himself for me. We call that substitution. It's, it's often spoke on it. Tonight, I'd like to speak on it. You say, why is it? You know, we, I've spoken in meetings, and I've, uh, I was unfortunate. It was last week. We, the whole meeting, I spoke on sins and sins. And, and I, I, I was actually, at the end of the meeting, the brother said, what, what, is, what is sin? And you feel like I, I, you feel like somehow it was my, I was my fault. I, you should, I, I should have just, should have said some kind of description, some short description. What is sin? How would you determine sin? What would you, what would you say it is? It, it, you think, oh, there's all these different ways in which we somehow find a way to describe it up, and it's always usually what someone else is doing. But, but, but sin sometimes. You say if we're all, if we're all born with that shape, that God-shaped size hole. In our being, you'd say sin is trying to fill it with anything else but Christ. Anything else but Christ. It's, it's just children. It's that first game that we all got as kids, and you took the star, and you put it into the star one. I think we even had a game where the whole thing would, would pulsate, and if you didn't get all the shapes in in time, it just blew up. If I'm right, is that still a game? Yeah, some people are nodding. You could probably get it at Value Village or something. And, and if you didn't get all the shapes into the right size, all of a sudden just exploded and the game was over. And it seems like that. We all have about 75 to 80 years. If we're lucky, if we're lucky to fill this God-shaped size hole and we stuff anything and everything in it, and at the end of the day, just being sin because we would jam our careers into that. I'm looking at people tonight and you'd say, instead of filling it with Christ, I would fill it with a career. I would fill it with, with, with what I've accomplished in my athletics. I would, I would fill it with a degree. I would, I would fill it with anything. And some people even taking that they're filling it with religion. If that's so, then there's no difference between you and someone who's looking to take a plane down tomorrow in the name of God. Because if religion will fill that hole, my friend, then, then the Bible then the one who was himself for me, there is no point, no point to it. If religion will fill that hole, I don't care what religion it is. It's only a man that will fill that space. Everything else, the Bible says, everything else is this sin. And, and we come down to life and you'd say, it, it, it does something to us because we all want meaning in life. We all want that. We all want to have meaningful lives. Things that, that somehow give us purpose. And we, we, we look for that. We look for that in different areas, uh, and, and I would take that away from no one tonight. Everything that you want, but no one wants to be nothing. No one wants to come to the end of their life and found out that the world would have been just the same if you had never been here. You'd say, that, that, that would depress and that would discourage. You'd say, I want to spend these years and, and have it said at the end of this time that there were people who needed what I did, who wanted me here, and there was meaning in my life, and so we search for it. We long for it. We, we long to fill that size, shape, hole with meaning. And yet apart from God, what is meaningful? Because a career won't save you. And, and, and neither will a spouse save you. Neither will, 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 will funds. Neither will a good job. It will not save you. You will leave all that behind at the end of the day. When you die, you will leave all that behind. And the Bible says, me a sinner. Me a sinner. You say, I have to come to terms with this. Of all the areas I'm searching for meaning, sometimes I have to realize what took away my meaning. What, 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 what is it that, that wrecked this place? We've already been hearing this world. You'd say it's not what it should be. It has been, has been wrecked. 
There's been something that's happened. And I, I look inside me and I say, something has wrecked me. Who, who here hasn't thought that at one time or another? I was reminded uh, just as I go through summer, I, I, I graduated a long time ago. I think I've, I've been out of school for uh, 15 years. But the one thing that makes each summer better than the next is that I don't have to do any summer reading. Um, but I was reminded uh, of, of a book that I, I read once, uh, I think it was in the ninth and the 10th grade summer, um, it was Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, right? Curious Cases, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. I, I thought of that, and I, and I thought how an apt illustration that was of, of just what is wrong with me, because if you remember, some of you may have never read the book, but I'll give you the spark notes. You remember that, that illustration, and, and he just, he finds in himself this difficulty that, that he wants to do good. And yet there is bad that is behind every corner and, and there's this struggle for good and bad and he, he can't just come to terms with it. Maybe something that most of us would agree with here. Just wanting to do good and, and yet bad being ever, around every corner. And he, he drinks this potion. And, and during the day, Dr. Jekyll is a stand-up man. He, he does good to others. He, he, he is a noble, significant person in society. And you'd say he would be the guy that at the end of the day, we would name a hospital after him. We would, we would honor him in a public sphere. We would do that for him. But, but just the same, that same potion made him incredibly bad at night. It hit whoever it was bad in him was there in the evening and in the story. His one, his one observation in the story, Mr. Stevenson writes this, and he says, his observation was this, as if he just didn't realize how evil he really was. He just didn't realize all the good that could be done in the day. When he, when he realized when all the evil came out at night, he said it just, he was, he was amazed with how bad he was. But the true significance in the story was just this. He said, even at his best, even when Dr. Jekyll during the day was at his best, you know what made it great? It's because he just realized how much better he was than the next guy. He just realized how much better he was than the, the next person, of what he was doing, all the good that he was doing, and all, all the, the noble acts that he was involved in. You'd say it was all in comparison to the slob next door who couldn't live up to it, who couldn't do it. And you'd say this, the same for us, that the same for us, that when it comes time to look at me, a sinner, me, a sinner, most of us here, you'd say, well, we're all, we all got a certain amount of meaning and a certain amount of dignity and a, a certain amount of good about us. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ, his greatest fault that he found was with people who thought they were a little better than the next guy. This may surprise you. And if you have any arguments with it, you come up and you, you, you tell me right after the meeting. But if I asked you, what is the one thing that keeps the most people out of heaven? If everyone gets to the gate one day, the pearly gates, and you say the one thing that denies people heaven, what is the one thing that denies most of our humanity a place in heaven? What is it? Murder? How many people won't be in heaven because of murder? I don't know. I, I, I don't have any statistics. You say, uh, uh, could it be um, uh, abuse? Uh, it could be someone who, who acted in a, in a spiteful way towards your spouse or, or, or God forbid towards a child. You say, that'll keep millions out of heaven. What about uh, 
crime and corruption, the governments that have robbed us, or, 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 or the governments that are still robbing their citizens uh, of even food and, and basic rights, you'd say, that'll keep millions out of heaven. The Bible says the one thing that'll keep almost most people out of heaven is their own goodness. It's just their own good. Is that they had, they had something good about them. Something that they figured that they would present to God at the end of the day. They would give him this lump of good. And he would look at that and he would say, that's it. That's what I wanted. And yet we come to our Bibles. And I just read that one statement. Me, a sinner. Me, a sinner. And you'd say, it, it's the one thing that we would say we would never want to use as a description. It's the, one, it's the one key description that no one wants to take upon themselves because all of a sudden you feel insignificant. You feel as though what has been the purpose? Why, why, why whittle it all down to this that if I could just use three words to describe myself, why would I ever choose those three words? Why in the world? The Bible tells me this, that my significance does not come from what I have done. It's about time some believers realize that. The Bible tells me my significance has come from what God has done for me. There's an illustration that the Lord Jesus used in the gospel. He uses it in Matthew and Mark and I think in Luke. And he talks about these two little birds, these sparrows, and they're, they're sold in a, a marketplace for pennies, for just pennies. And it says there in the story, he says, one of those birds... He goes, if, if it dies, because they were so cheap that some of them would just die. He said, if one of them dies and falls to the ground, he says, before it hits the ground, the God of heaven knows about it. Just a, a bird that you could sell for pennies. And the Lord Jesus says, he goes, he's numbered the hairs on your head. Don't worry. You're of much more worth than a bird. You're of much more worth than a bird. Why? Why is it? Because himself for me. Uh, the one who gave himself for me, my significance in this life and in eternity will be found in those three words, in those three words alone, himself for me. That one man took my place. He took my place at Calvary. And you would say, that's it. And, and, and Paul tells us the son of God who, who loved me and he gave himself for me. It's, it's not as though he was sending a card of some sort that, that, would, that would dictate love. It, it wasn't a sign in the sky, but it was a love that sent his son here. That is significant. That, that is so significant that, that without the cross, there's not a God of love. Without the cross, there's no God who loves. And yet we read here, the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You say the first mention in our Bibles of love is a father and a son. You can read about it if you want to go afterwards. In Genesis 22, you can read about a father and a son. And I always think about the words of that son because when he reflected on just being loved and what he was going to have offered that day, he was, it was a story of Abraham and Isaac. And you'd say, he asked his father this significant question that is still being pondered today. And he asked his father this. He says, he goes, Where's the sacrifice? Where's the sacrifice in all of this? Where, where is it? 
He goes, we, all the wrongs, and this day what we're going to do, that God has asked us something, and he, he was longing to know this answer. We still ask it today. What is it that's going to appease God? Where is the sacrifice? Is the sacrifice in, in religious education? Is, is the sacrifice, as we've already been hearing, I, I'm not looking to pick on it. I, I, go through all the religions. Go through all the, the things that you have to do. But is the sacrifice going to be in something that you're going to do? And if it is, my friend, you have to tell me because we're all going to get to heaven the same way. We're all going to be there for the same reason. So if you're getting there by something you've done, please tell me what it is because then I will get there the same way. If doing gets you to heaven. But that son asks his father, what is God's sacrifice? And the answer that comes back, you would just listen to it tonight. He says, God will provide himself. God will provide himself. Does what you have compare with that? The God of heaven became a man went all the way to the place called Calvary, and it was himself for me. Himself for me. Does what you have compare with that? Because you can't add to it. You can't take away from it. You can't deny it. It's a historical fact. Heaven will be filled with millions of people, and if you ask them, why are you here? Himself for me. It's because a man took my place at Calvary. That where I deserve to hang and die for my sins, he became sin. And he was nailed to that cross. And the Bible says, himself for me. Himself for me. How significant that when it comes time just to look at that. And our verse goes on to say, if there was any other way to get to heaven, just focus on this. If there was any other way to get to heaven, then Christ died for nothing. I've said, I, I, you know, I, I think if I said that in the meetings this week, I, no one, I, I should have someone who tells me every time I repeat myself. And I'm sure sometimes you can see people, they, they glaze over because they've heard that one before and they've heard that story. But, but if, if there was any other way to get to heaven tonight, I just want to say that again, because no one, no one admittedly raised their head who hand was going to achieve heaven. I would take it everybody here figures that they're going to get to heaven by something outside of themselves. If you're not going to achieve it, you'd say, if there was any other way, then Christ died for nothing. You know, I've looked at that verse for years just like this. Christ did die for nothing because that's what I was. I was absolutely nothing. You say, no, Dave, no, it's not so. We all got something. No, no, don't take it away from me. I gave God not a single reason to come and die for me. We have men and women overseas right now. We, we, we have men and women, so many of our armed forces over in different parts of the country, some worse than others. And if you ask them for a reason to give themselves for the U.S., they could give you 330 million reasons. Because there's 330 million of us here in the U.S. And any soldier, any one of them could pick from 330 million reasons to give themselves, to give their life. To, to put themselves in harm's way, to die for a nation. And yet when God sent his son to Calvary, the reasons were none. 
I could not offer a reason. There was nothing in me that was lovable. There was nothing in me that, that, that could have said, this is someone worth dying for. No, but God died for nothing, but he did not die for no reason. He did not die for no reason. The Bible says it was himself for me. That God loved the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It, it, it is just that. When I, when I take a look at the Bible, it is, it, it is the reason that we have, we have marred a lot of things and we've lost a lot of significance in life is because we have put ourselves in the place of God. We have put ourselves exactly in the place of God and we have become our own saviors. We have become our own ways to heaven. We have become our own, as it were, answers. We have put ourselves in the place of God. And you know what God did in return to that? God put himself in our place. It was himself for me. He took my place. My whole life, I was just trying to steal his place. I was just trying to take every place that I thought where God should have been in my life, David was going to be there. Determining right and wrong, David determined. When it was going to be getting peace in this life, David did it. When it was going to be merits and righteousness and good things, David did it. And I did everything that God was supposed to do. And in return for that, instead of punishing me or condemning me, instead, I realized that he took my place. That God took my place. That, that, that I, the one place God deserved to be, I had taken it away from him. And yet the one place I deserved to be, God took that place. When Christ died, and it was himself for me, himself instead of me, the exchange. Have you ever thought about that? In all the years that you've heard the Bible open, and I've sought to faithfully open it to you tonight, of all the years that we take that into consideration, if we ever come in our lives to that description, me, a sinner, me, just the, if you want to, however you want to term that, but me, the one thing that God has hated, sin, and exactly what I am, to stray from that, me a sinner, you say, why would anyone choose that term or that description? Because right here it says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That that's who he came to save. And so the description, me a sinner. And yet those wonderful words, himself for me. Himself for me. This is not a a hostage exchange. You know, when we, when we bring a Marine home, we usually give them 20, 20 of, of their people, whoever it is, whatever nation has, has taken a prisoner of war. We'll say, we'll give you 20 uh, of your guys. Give us one of our, give us one of our men back. You'd say, can you imagine the worth that's placed on that man? Imagine, imagine a man finds out as he gets freed from some bunker somewhere in the middle of nowhere, and he would have asked the commanders as they fly him out of there, what did it take to free me? And they could say, it took 25, 25 of the men that we had, we had taken hostage in this war. 25. Sometimes in, a, in our own state, we have people who have ransoms and children go missing. And it's always, it's always something so, so monstrous. He'd say, Four million dollars, six, seven, eight million dollars. And you can imagine the kids' amazement. Our whole lives are spent, you know, looking for allowances of $20. And there we would find out our parents gave millions and maybe to get us back from danger. Everything pales in comparison to this. 
that God gave his son for me, himself for me. God gave himself for me. You say that was the worst trade known to man. It was. And it will always be the worst trade known to man. But it was God's trade. He gave his son for me. And so if you said to me, are you looking to achieve heaven? No, 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 no. See, the man who built heaven, he hung on a cross for me, took my place. And I'm guaranteed heaven tonight because all the sins that were taking me down to hell, every single one of them, he died for. He died for them. Me, a sinner, himself for me. We're not preaching putting a new coat on the man tonight. We're talking about putting a new man in the coat. This is not something to add to your keychain of life. This is not something to just add as a bumper sticker to the back of your vehicle. This is something that turns a man completely around. It has to. Because this is the most significant thing to have in life. And significance in life is found in this. The man who took my place at Calvary. God's son. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. 